We're continuing on with the, the What Do You See series in uh, the lead up to Easter. And um, we're constantly asking this question, what do you see? You know, as we come to Jesus, what do you see? And so each week we look at someone different. Uh, this week we're looking at Mark's uh, Gospel, chapter 5. And uh, to get some context for this, though, I think uh, is probably a little important. Um, because chapter 4 in Mark, a lot had happened. Um, you see, in chapter 4, we get that great, great story where the disciples and Jesus are in the boat. And they're crossing over the, the Sea of Galilee, and on their way, uh, Jesus decides to have a nap. This is probably one of Jesus' greatest miracles, if you ask me. Um, and he is asleep in the boat when a storm arises. Uh, the storm is so big, so powerful, that it says that waves are tipping over the, the sides of the boat, that is filling the boat with water, and uh, they are going to, to die. Um, now, you've got to remember... A lot of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. They had spent their entire lives on the, the sea uh, in boats. They, they'd seen storms before. Even they were scared. So scared, and this is where the miracle comes into it, they, they wake Jesus. I mean, who has to be woken in the middle of the, the storm where, where your feet are wet? Like, I, it just baffles me how he's asleep at this point. Um, but anyway, they wake him up and say, Hey, Jesus, we're going to die. Do something about it. Um, not sure what he'll do, um, but they've seen him do plenty of other stuff. They've seen him heal the sick and, and do lots of other things. I don't know, maybe he'll, he might have some trick up his sleeve, who knows. And when they wake him, he just simply stands and goes, what's all the fuss? Oh, be still. And whew, he just all, all calms. Incredible story. Uh, and that's just happened. And then in both uh, Mark, Matthew and Luke's Gospels, which share this story, um, it always proceeds right onto the very next bit in chapter 5. And so we know that the disciples and Jesus are turning up on the shore, and this has just happened to them. And so it would be accurate to say that the disciples certainly were feeling tired. They would have been emotional. I mean, they just experienced a near-death experience. Um, they would have felt... Hungry. Uh, it's early morning as they arrived. They would have felt relieved. You know, who wouldn't have got out and onto the shore and gone, "Oh, dear sweet land," <laughs> you know, and kissing the ground. Um, they would have also felt terrified. Um, now we can't assume that, but we're told it in Mark's Gospel, chapter four, verse forty-one. It says this: the disciples were absolutely terrified. Now they're not terrified of the storm at this point. At this point, they're like. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Like, they are terrified. I don't know about you, but I kind of think, wouldn't that be cool? But hey, look who I'm hanging with. This guy can control the weather. This is awesome. But human nature tends to, to whenever we encounter something that's a little different, a little odd, we're always a little wary of it. And so there would have been this awestruck kind of healthy fear and wonder, terror kind of like, oh my goodness, who... Are we in the presence of something not human? Like, they're terrified. So there's a mix of emotions. But as they pull up on shore, they're about to encounter something far more terrifying. And so in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, let's read verses 1 to 20. It says this. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, 
he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Everyone was amazed. So let me set the scene. They pull up onto the shore. On the east coast uh, of the Sea of Galilee, there's only one spot where there are cliffs. And so it's pretty, uh, we, we can get pretty accurate where we think this story took place. Um, they pull up. Now, they are good Jews, pulling into this Gentile territory. First of all, they pull up and there's a graveyard. There, there is open tombs. These aren't tombs that are sealed. They're not buried. They're open-cut tombs, sort of caves in the side of the hill where there were open shelves and bodies would just be placed there to decay until the bones were, were all that was left. Uh, now, we know in Jewish customs that dead bodies were, were unclean. They weren't the things you go around touching. So for a Jew to enter a cemetery, it's like, oh, yeah, don't, don't like that place. They can also see in the distance, oh, what is that? Is that goats? Is that sheep? No, no, pigs. Oh, okay. Uh, we also know that to a Jew, pigs are an unclean animal. And so you, for a Jew, you're entering into this space. It's, it's not the nicest of places. You know, I'm sure the disciples are already thinking, uh, when we get back, I'm going to have to ceremonially cleanse myself. You know, how many times am I going to have to wash myself to be clean after visiting this place? This is not a place they want to be. And so they're, they're tired, they're hungry, they're, they're terrified, they're a little shaken. And they step onto shore 
And then this wild man comes running towards them, this madman, this crazy man. He is stark naked. Matthew's gospel um, gives the account that there are two men here that are demon-possessed in the tomb. It's the same story. Um, both Luke and Mark mention only one. Um, what we can conclude from that is, well, there might have been two there. Only one of them primarily interacts with Jesus. And so Mark picks up on the one that interacts there. And so this one interacts yelling yelling and screaming. He, he is stark naked, which is just a shameful thing in, in Jewish culture. He's stark naked, cuts all over him, dry blood. Um, he's wild, he's unkept. Um, and he is charging towards them. I mean, this is an uncomfortable situation. They probably didn't know at the time who this guy was. They had no background to, to who he was. Later on, when the, the town gathered and crowded around, they, they probably would have filled in. They would have gone, oh, that's the crazy guy. You know, we've tried so many times to chain this guy up and, 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 and sort of subdue him and get him under control, but he's just crazy. In Matthew's Gospel, it also tells us that, that this guy was so crazy um, that people would avoid that area. They just wouldn't even pass through it because they were attacked. Now, put yourself in their shoes. You're, you're walking through the middle of, of Canberra, Civic, or maybe Belco Mall, and um, some naked wild man starts running towards you going, hey you, hey you, you know, what do you want with me? Um, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's really like a it, it's an off-putting scene here. And so the disciples, are, they've just been shell-shocked. They've just been like one crisis to another. Uh, and so that's where they find themselves. And it brings up uh, an important question, because right from the get-go, Jesus identifies that this man is possessed by a demon. The very first thing he says to them, um, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Uh, and so before we go on, I think we need to answer and wrestle with this question a little bit. Um, and it's a question around the, the, the presence of the demonic. And I want to ask you this, because most people will, I don't know, we, we, we have a, a kind of threshold of, of things we will believe. Um, so, so unicorns, no. Fairies, pixies, no. You know, um, demons, uh, angels, yeah, yeah, they're good, they're nice to believe in. Yeah, God, yeah. But do, you, do we believe in demons? Does you, the way you understand the world take into account the demonic? That's the question I want to look at. Do you have a worldview that includes demons? So to answer that. I think we need to look to Jesus' response because there's plenty of ways to get around this. Plenty of people will read this scripture and a scripture passage like this and as the drama illustrated to us quite well, there were numerous times Jesus encountered the demonic. Uh, but many people will, will try and get around it and they'll try and go, well, demons, really? Do we believe there's demons? You know, maybe the, the scripture here is talking about the, the inner darkness within each of us and, and they try and moralise it and so they will speak about you know this, this is a, a man who's, who's inner demons you know he's, he's, the darkness within him you know like the little conscience you've all seen Looney Tunes haven't you you've got the little angel and the devil on, on each other we've all got a little good and evil in all of us and it's just the evil's come to the surface and so you know he's been taken over by the, 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 the nature the bad evil nature within him and so that's what we're seeing here there's not really Dean there's not some being that has a will of its own existent beyond the man who has taken control here this is just something within himself already so some people will try and moralise it away like that others will try and, and talk about uh, it as mental illness and so we'll talk about uh, these 
these simple Jewish people back then um, that you know, really had no concept of, of mental health or of psychology. Um, and so they, they had no way of knowing that, that what was really happening here was just a, an acute case of mental illness. Um, now, I don't know any mental illness that allows you to break chains um, with, with your bare hands. I, I don't know of any mental illness like that. But, but that's all right, because the story's just embellishing at this point, because that's all they knew and understood. So plenty of people will try and get around this thing that, is there demons or not? So I need to go back to Jesus. If Jesus is my authority in these matters, if he really was God who walked on earth, I'm going to listen to him. And so what does he think about uh, demons? Well, in the Gospels, which is the, the four accounts of, of his life here on earth, um, there are 70 references to the demonic. Uh, so there's three ways the demons are referenced in the, the New Testament um, Gospels. Um, one is as demons. One is as evil spirits. And one is as unclean spirits. And so you have these three references. 70 times they're mentioned. Most of those times, Jesus is in the picture. He's the one saying it or he's talking to others about it. And so 70 times. Now, if we include references to, to Satan, who is the, the, the chief demon, um, then you, you're up over 100. Now, that's more references to demons or more times that is mentioned than there are chapters in the Gospels. So that's one for every chapter. I mean, they're not spread out that evenly um, but it's it's a big topic that the new testament talks about a lot jesus himself if we look at his life um, he definitely teaches on this he teaches his disciples in luke 9 uh, verse 1 he's there gathering his disciples he's about to send them on mission and he's um, we're told that one day jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases he gathered and said, you were going to come across demons, people who are influenced or possessed by demons, and I'm giving you the authority to cast them out. We know that he interacts with the demonic. Um, Mark 5 being a, a clear example of that, where he, he calls it, he says, get out, demon. And then he starts having a conversation with this being that has a will and a mind and an intellect of its own, separate to the man's, uh, and it reveals itself as I am legion. And so here we see him interacting um, Jesus didn't see it as a mental health problem either. There are times we see in the scriptures where Jesus comes across someone who is tormented by their, their mind, who is mentally unwell, and he treats them very differently to when he encounters someone who is demon-possessed. Jesus doesn't come across and go, oh, all you people, are de everyone's demon-possessed, casting out demons out of everyone. No. He treats each person. One, it's an illness. One, it's a disease. One, there, there is strife. One, there is, is uh, demon possession. So it's not, a, it's not like he has the same stick for every problem um, and, and whacks everything the same way. Jesus himself differentiates. No, 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 not, it's not always demon possession, but definitely there are times where there it is. And can Jesus tell the difference? Was, was Jesus simple-minded? Was Jesus just using the language that they would understand? Well, we see that there are times where he doesn't use that language, where he helps them to see that it's something else. So he doesn't have to, to resort to that. So I've got to come to the conclusion that Jesus squarely believes that demons are real. The church has always believed in, in Satan and demons, um, and it has always taught that they exist. That there are evil beings with a, a will and a mind of their own that exist. But the Bible just doesn't tell us they exist. It tells us a lot more about them. In Ephesians chapter 2 
Paul is, is speaking here. And he's speaking to, to, to the church and he's speaking to, you know, the, 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 you weren't always saved. You weren't always under the control of Jesus. He wasn't always your Lord and Master. And so in verse 1, 2, he says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. What do you make of that? Read that for yourself. How do you make sense of this scripture? That he, being the devil, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now there are only two types of people. There are those who obey God and those who don't. This is a dichotomy here. There's only two options. So there's all those who do obey. And then there's all those who don't obey. And there's a heck of a lot more than them than there are who obey. All those who don't obey God, basically we're being told here, that the devil is at work in their hearts. That he's active. So not only do they, they exist, but they are active in our world. That they are, are busy in the hearts of those who don't obey God. Um, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? What does that look like? Particularly in our day and age, where we live in a secular culture, where we, we kind of just dismiss anything spiritual. We don't want to think about that. There's no place for that. How do you reconcile it? Well, C.S. Lewis is someone who spent some time trying to reconcile these things. And so he, he spent some time trying... What does it look like to, to believe in a world where the demonic is active? What does that look like? And so he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, anyone read that? Classic, um, great book. Uh, in it, uh, Screwtape, uh, one of the chief demons, is, is addressing his young nephew, who is a, a demon in training. And he's basically giving him advice, telling him, you know, this is how to be a good demon. This is what it looks like to, to fight for the kingdom of darkness. And so in it, it's a completely fictional work. He's, he just put his mind to that task of going, what does it look like for the demonic to be active in our world? Uh, he has this advice to his young nephew, Wormwood. I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. One day as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years work beginning to totter. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested it was just about time he had some lunch. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and a number 73 bus going past. And before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got into him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life, by which he meant the bus and the newsboy, was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. He is now safe in our father's house. Now, I don't know what playbook demons use. I, I, I do not think that they're sitting there reading the Screwtape Letters and working out how to be good demons. They've been around a lot longer than C.S. Lewis, so I think they've worked it out how to do it. 
Um, but, but what he's trying to do here is to work out what does it look like to believe in a world where demons exist and are active? What does that look like? Have we got a head around that? Have we got a place for that in our head and how we understand things? Again, I'll ask the question, and I'll leave you with it before we move on. Does your understanding of the world include demons? Jesus' did. Let's get back to our question now of what do you see? And we're looking today at what do the demons see? What do the spirits see? And so I'm going to answer three questions here uh, to help us understand this. What did the evil spirits want? What did the evil spirits see? And what did the evil spirits do? What did the evil spirits want? Well, it's quite clear. Um, The minute they see Jesus, they say, why are you interfering with us? Go away. We don't want anything to do with you. Uh, What do they want? They want nothing to do with Jesus. They they see who he is and they want nothing to do with it. Uh, Their immediate response is very clear to us. Um, And so it's it's really obvious what they want. They want nothing to do with him. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, in the name of God? And and in this passage, he uses the word for beg three times. It's like they're pleading. They're begging on their knees. Just go away. Don't torture me, please. Just just go. I mean, I find it outrageous that they call upon the name of the God in verse 7. You know, in the name of God, I beg you, don't hurt me. Um, who did they think they were talking to? This is the funny thing. They know who they're talking to. What did the evil spirits see? They say it themselves. Um, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? They know he's the son of God. They see him clearly. They know this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is God himself in flesh. They know who it is. And they know they're in trouble. They know they they have no option. They see Jesus. They know that he is the one with all authority, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, both human and spiritual. Every knee will bow, that he is the Lord. He is the creator. He is God. And so they see who he is very clearly. And for Mark in his gospel, I'm sure he's, this is helping him to paint the picture, helping everyone to see just who Jesus is, that this is God in flesh. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the only one who has power and authority to do the things that he says he'll do. He's the only one. And what did the evil spirits do? Well, at this point, this is where this story becomes unique compared to all the rest. Because here we have this story of legion. Don't you love it? Uh, who, who, who are you? What's your name? Jesus commands them. You know, what's your name? And they're legion. Um, now, legion in, in Roman war terms is a legion of soldiers, about 6,000. So now, I, I don't know, there's no way to confirm whether that, that is, is correct or not. Um, when legion is sent into the pigs, we know that there is... 2,000 pigs are numbered um, in the story. So if you say one demon per pig, there's at least 2,000 here. Now, this is a lot of demons. Now, if, if the armies of hell are ever going to put up a fight, this is it, isn't it? Like, yeah, Jesus has taken out some solos, some, some, some single demons out there on their own, wandering around. Um, you know, they're those isolated places. If you play any sort of game, you, you like to pick off the weak ones that have hived off from the, the rest of the, the pack, you know. You know what I'm talking about, Lachlan, don't you? Yep. He looks and goes, oh, yeah, there's a loner. You know, I'm going to go get him. Um, so Jesus has done that. But now Jesus comes face to face with thousands. I mean, this is the enemy. If they're ever going to put up a fight, this is the time, isn't it? 
This is the time. They're going to say, no, Jesus, you, you know, the gates, you shall not pass. The gates of hell uh, are here. And, and this is the moment. What do they do, though? What do, they, do they put up a fight? Do they shout? Do they, they scream? Do they throw the guy into a fit? Do they, what do they do? Do they run away? No, they have no choice. They simply submit. They simply submit. They beg. They plead. Don't torture us. I mean, isn't that funny? They know instinctively when they come face to face with the holy, righteous God that their evil has to be judged. They, they, they know it. They know he can't come for them. You know, please don't torture us, um, but send us into these pigs. And I find it fascinating that there in verse 13, it says, so Jesus gave them permission. They, did, they needed permission to do anything. <laughs> you know, please send us into those pigs. They, they couldn't even jump to the pigs without him saying, okay. Uh, in the presence of Jesus, there is no power or authority that can stand up to him. And so... We, we find here these spirits. And if we take Ephesians 2 to be real, if we, we consider that there are demons, that there are numerous ones of them, and let's face it, when we speak about demons, and, and when Ephesians 2 speaks about the devil working in the hearts of all those who disobey, we don't literally believe that the devil is omnipresent like God. God can be in all places at all times. Satan can't be that. He's, he's just one being and so he is not in everyone's heart but he and his demons the way of speaking about the demonic forces uh, are out there and so if we believe this well i mean we're, we're upset at the moment about a, a viral pandemic aren't we i mean if we take paul's words to be true we should be really worried that there is a pandemic of demonic activity out in our world leading people astray and if i'm writing a playbook for the demonic Am I saying, because let's face it, I've never encountered anyone like this, have you? I've never encountered a demon-possessed man who's naked, cutting themselves as wild. Not manifesting like that. If you are a demon working in our culture, in our day, the last thing you want to do is draw attention to the spiritual, isn't it? You've worked really hard to help people think there is no spiritual spirituality, that there is no God. There's no demons, there's no angels, none of that exists. So last thing you're going to do is go, here I am, um, you know, you play it safe. I, I don't know how they operate, but if we're to believe that, that it's active, that the, the Satan, the great liar and deceiver, is, is working the hearts of people, leading them astray and leading them away from God, we should be concerned about that. And yet, as great a threat as that is, and as great a a threat that is the kingdom of God and, and as much as that is robbing people because let's face it this poor man his humanity has been lost hasn't he it's been stripped from him everything's been taken from him if there is this great threat facing humanity perhaps the reason we're not so upset about that is because it really is no threat at all when it comes face to face with Jesus there's no option but to just submit Say whatever you say, Jesus. Whatever you say. The name of Jesus is powerful. That's Legion. But there's one more person I want us to see here in this story, and that's the man himself. Think about this poor man whose humanity has literally been stolen from him. His dignity, he is naked, 
his relationships, his family, he's been ostracized, his possessions, everything that he once was, career, everything, all that's stripped away. Even his own sanity has been taken from him, um, his health, uh, everything. Someone um, was writing that I, I read this week saying that this man was even in a worse state than Job. When we think of you know, poor souls, we think of Job, don't we, who lost everything. This guy had lost everything, plus his mental capacity to remain in control. He'd lost everything. He couldn't even put an argument for it. And when we look at this poor man, there's, there's this amazing thing we see. That, that, that this man who is probably... I find it hard to think of anybody to, 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 to invent someone who could be in a worse position. Everything's been taken from him. He's living in tombs amongst dead people. Who knows what he's eating? Here he is, alone, isolated, chained. Um, and, and the community has tried their best to help him, but they just can't. They, they've been unable to do anything. And Jesus comes along and sees this man who no one else can help. No one else. And he says, you know what? You are not beyond redemption. You are not beyond salvation. Get out of him. And we see him sitting there with this same man, clothed, thinking straight thoughts, engaging with Jesus. I mean, what a powerful story. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. No one. No matter how depraved they've become. No one is beyond his reach. And I want to point to this fascinating response from the crowd. Here's this man who has been given back everything. Given back everything. You know, Jesus, come let me follow you. No wonder he wants to follow Jesus. No, no, no. Go back. Restore yourself to your family. Go be with your family again. Go, go redeem the life. Get, get back everything you've lost, he says to him. But there's this fascinating um, point in the story in verse 16 then those who had seen what happened so the crowds had all gathered they'd weighed up they'd seen what happened and and this is what it says then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon possessed man and the pigs there's two stories here there's this demon possessed man here's a, a, a man who who we haven't been able to help this is this is someone who who our society and our communities failed like we just haven't been able to do anything to help him in fact we've just had to ostracize him and push him out and, and so there's been this loss. Um, and yet Jesus has come and restored it. Jesus has been able to do what we haven't been able to do. Jesus has done this incredible thing. And he has been restored to us. And, and this is incredible. Like, no one else could do what Jesus has done here. This is incredible. Now, when Jesus, someone does that to something like that, that's the sort of guy you want in your community, isn't it? Come and be part. Like, we've got plenty more people here who need help. You know, we've got others who you can heal and others who you can restore. And, and this is incredible that you could bring such sanity back to this man. Like, come. That's so, but then you've got the pigs. And they're also contemplating what he's done to the pigs. And 2,000, now we're not talking modern day farming. 2000, a, a farm with 2,000 pigs probably isn't a big farm nowadays. Back then, that's a pretty big farm. I would dare say that whole community depended quite heavily for its income and its um, prosperity from those pigs. Uh, and here Jesus has, has come, cast the demons into the pigs, and those pigs have gone, jumped off the cliff, and, and died. now pigs can swim. Um, so, you know, pig farmers will go, I don't know why they drown. Pigs can swim. Did you know that? And you go on YouTube, you find lovely little photos of pigs diving off boards and all sorts. Um, now, the demons are the ones that drowned them. <laughs> they didn't round of their own volition um, 
But they've lost income. And so what is their response? They see what's happened. And here's this chance for this community, this Gentile community, to say, please stay. But what do they do? They say, the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. They didn't want what he was offering. It cost too much for them. I just think that's sad, don't you? I think it's sad. There's lots to see in this story, and I could keep going on and on and on about little little bits and pieces, um, but I won't. I'll stop there um, and leave you with this question. What do you see in this story? What are you seeing of Jesus, of the world we live in, of his power and of the battle that is taking place? What do you see? Let me pray. Father God, at the end of this story, we read that everyone was amazed at what he told them. That as this man went town by town declaring what you had done for him. Um, it says that the good things you've done for him. Because you didn't just cast out a demon, you restored him. You returned him to his family. You gave him back his dignity. You did so much for this man. And, and when we look and see, you know, who, what are we seeing here? Who are you, Jesus, that you can command the spirits? Who are you that you would reach out to the most unworthy of us, the most lost and broken of us? That you would, I don't know how that boat ended up in that place. I'm sure the disciples didn't choose to land there. That you sought this man out, that you went out of your way. Just incredible who we see in this story. And we too, Lord, want to be amazed. We pray you'd open our eyes to to how amazing you are. We pray too that you would open our eyes to what is happening spiritually in our world. That you would open our eyes to, to, to the demonic. That we wouldn't be blind to it. That we would know there is one who is seeking to destroy your kingdom. To tear down humanity. Help us not to be blind to that and help us to step up and to continue in the work that you began just as you instructed your disciples many centuries ago to, to go and to cast out demons and to bind them and, and restrain them and, and exercise them that you would help us to have wisdom around how we can do that today. Help us to be wise in this area. Help us to be discerning in this area. Help us not to be blind to it. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.